Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This 80s flick is a shining example of teenage adventures and unexpected chaos. This lively comedy about growing up invites us to revisit the wild night that forever changed the lives of a suburban babysitter and her diverse group of charges. The clever dialogue, surprising plot twists, and memorable characters make it a timeless favorite for those who grew up in the 80s. It reminds us that sometimes the most unforgettable nights are the unplanned ones where the ordinary transforms into the extraordinary and friendships are forged in the midst of unexpected adventures. So jump into the station wagon, grab your plastic door hammer, and get ready to sing the blues as Bethany Wells and I discuss Adventures in Babysitting from 1987 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Meet Chris Park, getting ready for the greatest night of her life. Hi. I gotta cancel. Now she's stuck babysitting the Anderson kids. Sarah. Mom got Chris to babysit for me. Chris? Her brother Brad and his best friend, Gal. Who is this kid? Stray dog. Take good care of my baby. I'll guard her with my life. What could possibly go wrong? Chris, I'm in trouble. Hang up and sit down. I'll be there in half an hour. This is a night when things go from bad to worse. Big city. Scum sucker. Hey, I like danger. You should try babysitting. I'm still in control here. (laughs) You could say they were having a bad night. Any problems? No, not really. If they weren't having such a good time. Adventures in babysitting. You think your parents will ever ask me to babysit again? If they do, I'd ask them for a buck more an hour. I'm Tim Williams, the mastermind behind the mic at the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Joining me on each epic episode is a guest co-host who's as crazy about 80s flicks as they are about wearing parachute pants and solving Rubik's Cubes. We're diving into nostalgic treasures we saw at the local theater, rented on VHS tapes, or discovered on cable TV. From blockbusters that make you say, I feel the need, the need. 
never see. To hidden gems that'll have you screaming. They're here. It's a blast to relive these old memories and share our thoughts on what made these movies so special. We reminisce about our first time watch experiences, share our favorite scenes, and even discover fascinating behind the scenes tales about the cast and crew along the way. Haven't hit that subscribe button yet? What are you waiting for? Come on, do it! On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And hey, while you're at it, be a pal and drop us a written review along with a five-star rating to tell us what you think about us. The sportos, motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. Take a day off and come hang out with us on social media. Just search 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And don't forget to bookmark 80sflickflashback.com for more gnarly content. Get out of town. I didn't know you did anything creative. Want to crank it all the way up to 11? Become a supporter on buymeacoffee.com for only $5 a month. Do or do not. There is no try. Click the link in our episode show notes. And while you're there, soak up the extra trivia and fun stuff that didn't make it into today's show. Thanks again for tuning in. Now, let's get right into today's episode. Welcome to the party, pal. All right, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. We have finished uh, the scary, spooky season and now into It's Christmas. Yes, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) There is snow in this one, but I think it actually takes place in March, not in november but you know yeah, it still you know. gives that that cool you know a fall or winter vibe absolutely uh, it's cozy exactly it makes you never want to leave the house sure. in my opinion it does <laughs> <laughs> i'm a boring person so oh, yeah, it yeah. makes me go like "Ooh, yeah. that sounds terrible <laughs> actually i'm just gonna stay home right it does make me not want to drive into the city anytime soon ever (laughs) ever i remember being a kid just thinking like oh my gosh the minute i get on the interstate going into Mm -hmm. the city i'm gonna get a flat tire and my whole life will be ruined (laughs) yeah just always try to convince your best friend not to go to the bus station that's that's (laughs) i think that's rule number one just don't run away from home exactly exactly all right. Well, of course, we're talking about Adventures in Babysitting from 1987, and hopefully you've already caught the uh, awesome interview that I had with Keith Coogan, who was a part of this movie, and uh, one of the reasons why we know who he is, because it was one of his first really big movies. Uh, so go back and listen to that as well. Glad to have back. It's been a long time. Too long, probably. Yeah, but it's been a minute. Lo- yeah, lovely to have Miss Bethany Wells back with us to talk about this 80s classic which she's not really old enough to know about it being from the 80s because she saw it probably much later right i saw it i don't i didn't see it in the 80s but it was something <laughs> i watched as a child okay yeah in the early 90s so yeah. i think oh, it yeah, was yeah. one of those yeah yeah late 87 so probably hit video in 88 in cable <laughs> in 89 so it probably had a little bit of the longevity and i'm sure being a touch tone pictures uh, it was with Dis- with Disney. They probably played it on the Disney Channel some too. I would. I think. don't remember. I think I, my parents would often get like the free HBO weekend. Oh yeah, and I'm yeah. pretty sure this one was part of that rotation, and it gotcha. got recorded on a VHS. Oh, so you just watched it and again. so then I just owned it. Obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. Because when you recorded, you own it. That was you know, that's that's how we <laughs> lived in the eighties. 
this podcast like, has made me yeah this podcast has really made me realize like how many movies my family owned just because we had the occasional free hbo weekend <laughs> and a vcr with a recorder right right yeah so i dated a girl uh after high school before between high school and college and her dad like she said he had like all the movie channels and he had his vcr like reset to record movies during the day like he wanted every movie that would come on. He had like this huge VHS collection. And I'm like, that Amazing. sounds cool. But then like, when do you actually sit down and watch the movies you recorded? Do you have time to watch the movies that you recorded? But you find I, the time. Right, right. But as a as a teenager yeah. at that time, I was like, that was so cool. It's like, oh man, you know, I mean, I was recording movies, but a lot of the movies that I had recorded, I'd recorded off a of TV. Like yeah. by the time it came to cable, I didn't really... I think it was just because they played it so much on cable. I didn't think about recording it because yeah. it's like, oh, it's going to be on again at some point. And, you know, we, I'll just catch it when I catch it. But, but yeah, so I saw Adventures in Babysitting in the theater. I remember going to the, to the movies to see it. I don't think I saw it like when it first came out. I think yeah. it had been out for a while and caught it then. Uh, but of course, I was a big fan of Elizabeth Shue because she was in Karate Who Kid. Wasn't? Oh, right. my goodness. <laughs> She's uh, so iconic. Oh, mm -hmm, love mm -hmm. her. Yeah, so this being like her first, you know, lead in a movie, it was a big deal. And then, you know, of course, I got to got to know the other characters and enjoyed them as well. But I definitely remember seeing this in the theater and just loving it so much. And then it was probably, yeah, so 87. So probably like four or five years later when I was on VHS, I think I saw it like a VHS at Walmart wow. for like, 10 bucks or like something like super cheap. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you mean I can own this on a VHS? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I remember buying it and like going over to a friend's house that had not seen it. I was like, how have you not seen this movie? And like sat down and watched it. And it was like reliving it all over again. Uh, yeah. And I had that for a long time. So now I have the Blu-ray, but yeah, it's, it's just a fun, fun movie. Yeah. I had actually, when we were, when I was preparing to, for this podcast, I was starting to watch it on Disney plus. Mm -hmm. And as, I don't know if you watched it on Disney Plus, but there's like a little placard at the beginning yeah. <laughs> that says like, this has been edited for content. And I was like, right. that's odd. Yeah. And I really didn't notice it until about halfway through. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they're editing the language. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we have it on Blu-ray and I ended up just like putting the Blu-ray <laughs> in so I could get the unedited version. Yeah. Yeah. So probably a couple of months ago, um, I wanted to watch it again. Well, I was planning, you know, like I said in the interview interview episode with Keith Coogan, we had, we were supposed to record like several months ago. Yes, so I, I like, I, I had rewatched a couple of the movies getting ready for that. And then he had to uh, push it back. So I have the Blu-ray. So I watched the Blu-ray then. And I was like, you know, I remembered everything, all the lines, whatever. But today we rewatched and Hannah was with me. So I was like, oh, I'll just put on the Disney Plus version. And of course, it's all a thing. And I was like, I knew they were going to adjust the F word in the middle because I'd seen that like when it first yeah. hit Disney Plus, it was all over social media about why did they change it? But then as I was doing some research, <laughs> there were a couple of tweaks. Yeah, to yeah. It. They said they basically put the TV version, which I was like, as it was going on, I was like, oh, yes. I used to have this version on a VHS, like before I owned yeah. the original. I had obviously recorded the TV version because I remember I I knew all the alternate words that they had used right. uh, in those scenes. So, uh, well, but it, it was, was I, yeah. The moment that yeah. hit me was when Daryl was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Right? Like, watch, your watch your language, and I was like, "What?" He didn't really say anything. <laughs> yeah, 
He hasn't yeah. said anything. There's another line that they took out too, where uh, right before they leave, and yeah. uh, she was like, where? "I will murder you. Come into your house and murder." You. And then he he says, and you know, rapes. So yeah." <laughs> and they totally cut that out. And she's like, um, I don't blame them. It's so yeah. cringy. Yeah. There's so a few much things of this like character is cringy. Yeah. There's a few things I'm glad. I'm glad they changed the line about Thor in the Disney Plus version. I agree. So that was that was I was like, ooh, that's a little easier to to swallow. Uh, you know, yeah. that watching it on the Blu-ray, I was like, oh man, I I I hate that that was such a common insult back then. I agree. Uh, so so yeah, so you know. As most 80s movies, they don't age that well, you know. So <laughs> what's yeah. crazy? Yeah, no, I agree. I didn't hate any of the edits that I noticed. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it didn't change the any of the movie really. It no, just made no. it the only scene that really didn't make sense was him saying, You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just yeah. like, okay, we've got other <laughs> movies in here that do use that word. Right. You could say right. it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was funny too because I'm like, you know, I have the, you know, we, there's a lot of stuff they've added to Disney Plus that has, you know, TVMA or whatever. So I was like, you know, why would they not just put the PG-13 version? Yeah. But I'm, it's it's more of what you consider a family movie, so they're trying to keep it more on the family friendly side. But anyway, yeah, I'm I not about Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> they're not a sponsor yet. Please call me. Yeah, um, hey, anyway. <laughs> we're open to it. Right. Love to sing your praises every chance I get. How long had it been since you watched it before you're watching it for the podcast? It, it had probably been a couple of years. Um, yeah. It's one of those that I forget how much I just genuinely adore this movie mm -hmm. until mm -hmm. like I start to think about it. I'm like, oh, I want to watch that movie again. It's so <laughs> good. And so it had been a while. It's not one that I had like introduced to the girls yet. If we watch it to, with them, it'll probably be the Disney Plus version. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is so much fun. Like I said, I watched it a ton as a kid, but it had been a few mm -hmm. years since I'd watched it. Um, and I remember in high school, I I'm a huge fan of the musical Rent, and right, so right. um, I Anthony Rapp had come out with like an autobiography, mm -hmm. and I read his book, and he mentioned that he had been in that movie, and I was like. That was him and yeah, it had been yeah. so long so i remembered watching it after i read that his book um but yeah it's a it's so good yeah disney channel did a remake like seven years ago something like that it's been it's been a while yeah and so when i saw i was like oh they're gonna remake it I'm like oh, this should be fun to see and it's a totally different story there's really nothing that's yeah. the same besides the two girls are friends but the whole all the adventures are completely different and so right after we watched it with with uh, my daughter, I was like, man, I want to go back and watch the original. And so I found it on one of the streaming sites at that point and, and rewatched it and uh, really enjoyed it. But I think even then when, when he popped up, when Daryl popped up, I was like, that guy looks so familiar. Like, I know he's been in stuff <laughs> since this, but I was like, I can't place his name. So then when right. I pulled him up on IMDb, I was like, oh. That makes sense. That like, oh, that's why I've seen him so many times. It's like, oh yeah. So, so yeah, and it was kind of kind of cool to see that was his, like his first first big, his, like um, real big. Yeah, yeah. He, and then for anybody who's not a huge musical fan, he's also <laughs> in the new Star Trek show that's oh, okay. streaming now. So, yeah. pretty great. He's, love yeah. love Anthony Rapp. <laughs> 
yeah, we'll 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 touch on some of that. We get into casting. So let's uh, yeah. let's jump into story origin and pre production. So um, a lot of this that I got, and it'll be in the show notes. I pulled from an article that was from I think a convention where David Simpkins, the screenwriter, Keith Coogan, and somebody else were there, like answering questions. And so these are like firsthand accounts. So I think this is pretty much more accurate than my regular Wikipedia research that I do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so David Simpkins, the screenwriter originally wrote the story as a spec script while working as a development executive at Roger Corman's old company, new world pictures. Although they passed on his idea, Simpkins believed that someone could eventually want to buy the story. The script was passed from a friend to a friend to another friend until it reached Linda Opst and Deborah Hill. You may recognize Deborah Hill's name because she was the wife of John Carpenter or the partner with John Carpenter oh. made Halloween. So if you know that name, that's where that comes in. So not too far off from horror movies as we start in November. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Simpkins said he wrote it quickly and knew the script didn't need to be perfect. It just needed to have a good, solid idea. The first draft was pretty much what you see in the movie, but as it was being shopped, it got turned into a complicated Ocean's Eleven heist film but <laughs> linda and deborah realized that it was way too expensive to do it that way so they suggested turning it back into just a series of adventures which i think was much yeah. smarter the role of the babysitter chris was originally proposed to molly ringwald and paramount huh. either purchased the movie or optioned the script the project was in development for about a year and because ferris bueller was such a big hit it served as a major inspiration for them wanting to make the movie but Paramount, of course, had Molly Ringwald as one of their stars on contract. So they had her in mind for the role, but she passed on it because she didn't want to keep playing teenage roles. I'm very thankful that's understandable. for Understandable. That. Yeah, that's so understandable. <laughs> yeah. I I love Molly Ringwald. You know, you can't mm -hmm. like 80s movies without, you know, loving her. Oh, yeah, her. for sure. But I don't know if Chris would have been, she obviously would have been different. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have loved her as much as I do. Yeah. Considering she was played by Elizabeth Shue. Oh, yeah. Oh, get ready. But there's some other actresses that are going to come. Oh, yeah. No, I that, kind of that went out for it. Yes. <laughs> so when Molly Ringwald passed on it, that left Paramount with a dilemma. They had to figure out who among their roster of stars they could put in the babysitter role. For a week, they seriously considered Bette Midler, who would have required a significant rewrite, but that didn't work out. Uh -uh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to at being a teenager, that's for sure. Then well, they turned I to share. But yeah, okay. Yeah, then they turned to share, which put the movie in turnaround until Deborah, Linda, and Chris Columbus, who directed it, took it and pitched it to Disney. Jeffrey Katzenberger approved the project and was greenlit immediately. So yeah, I guess they were fear they didn't have any teenagers, so then they were thinking, well, maybe if the, maybe if the babysitter is an adult, it'll they just change it, change it up. But yeah, yeah that's too Interesting. weird. Yeah, I mean. I'm not saying they would have done a bad job because it's Bette Midler and Cher. Right, right. So they don't, you know, they usually turn out some pretty quality work. Right. Despite, but it would have been different. And, and they were probably thinking, too, they need a bankable star. They were thinking, you know, Elizabeth Shue, of course, she was, you know, we knew who she was, but she'd never been the lead of a movie before. Right. So I'm sure they were thinking, hey, we need we need a big name to carry this movie for it to make, to make any money if they weren't as sold on the script since it had been tossed around so many times. It wasn't like the hottest script out there that they knew they could make a lot of money off of. And now these messages. 
Are you a fan of movies and TV shows inspired by comics? Ready for a podcast that dives deep into the thrilling world of adaptations? Well, look no further. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. This is your go-to podcast for all things comics on screen. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and every Monday we explore the dynamic universe where ink meets action. We break down the classics, reveal hidden gems, and uncover the creative process behind your favorite adaptations. Subscribe to Moving Panels now on your favorite podcast platform and join us on this epic journey through the pages of comics and onto the big screen. Remember, new episodes drop every Monday. Don't miss out. Moving Panels, where every panel has a story and every adaptation is a blockbuster. Subscribe today, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Hey there, fellow 80s movie aficionados. Are you ready to embark on a nostalgia-filled journey to the greatest era of cinema? Then look no further than the Retro Life For You 80s Movie Podcast. Join us every week as we rewind the VHS tapes, dust off those Betamax classics, and dive headfirst into the neon-soaked, totally tubular world of the 1980s movies. From the Brat Pack to action heroes, we've got it all covered. Breakfast Club, Ghostbusters, E.T. and Indiana Jones, and more. It's like a trip in Doc Brown's time machine, but without the DeLorean. So whether you're a diehard 80s film buff, or just curious about the cinematic gems of the past, Retro Life for You is your ticket to the ultimate movie time war. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Retro Life for You, and we can be found anywhere you listen to your podcast as well as on our website, www.retrolife, the number four, the letter U.com. It's kind of talking about casting. Over 150 actresses auditioned for the lead role of Chris in Dallas, Florida, New York, Toronto, Chicago, and LA. All right, here's. This is a very fun list. So Julia Louis-Dreyfus auditioned for the role, but withdrew because they were looking at getting Jodie Foster. Jodie huh. Foster also withdrew, leaving Michelle Pfeiffer, Valerie Bertinelli, Elizabeth Shue, and Justine Bateman as the last choices. Bateman drew, withdrew from the project due to creative conflicts, quote-unquote. What uh, does that mean? I, she, uh, who knows? <laughs> uh, it, that, whenever they put that, it's like, you know, either they she had ideas the the producers didn't like, or the producers had ideas that she didn't like and didn't want to budge on. But or or she just had ideas and they didn't like. Right. It. And then Pfeiffer left the project to star in Witches of Eastwick instead, which that was a big hit for her. So oh yeah. And then Bert, Valerie Bertinelli lost out to Elizabeth Shue on the final day of auditions. But Keith Coogan did say that he remembers doing screen tests with a number of actresses who went out for the part, including Phoebe Cates. But he added, nobody quite captured the essence of the character like Elizabeth Shue, who was a student at Harvard University at the time. Not to jump the gun, that opening scene <laughs> where she yeah. is doing the lip sync mm -hmm. says so much about her character and sells that character to the audience so mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. it, she It establishes you know, her age, her maturity, but also just like her sense of fun and her sense mm -hmm. of adventure. And it just endears you to her mm -hmm. so fast. 
I'm not saying no other actor could have done it, but nobody could have done it quite the way she did it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's good scene. But even when she first comes to the house and yeah. she's interacting with Brad, when, you know, he gets embarrassed, you know, she, she could have, that could have been played a lot of different ways. And he was like, she could have been so your... cruel about it. Yeah. But she yeah she's just... like, yeah. Yeah. She's like, he's like, I love your hair. I love your eyes. She's like, what do you like about it? She's like, let me teach you how to talk to, you know, yeah. a girl that human you like. Beings. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, just she knows humans. at that point. Yeah. yeah. And of course, he got embarrassed. But uh, yeah. yeah. But I was like, that, that once again shows, even though she's a teenager, she's definitely mature enough to, you know, know how to handle herself and be respectful and, this is not one of those movies I would think about. Who would you recast in this role? Like this is, this one's pretty perfect in the casting for as far as I I'm agree. Concerned. There's nobody for in this pretty much across yeah. the board. Yeah, yeah. Like some of the heavies, but even then, they're like they're not so fundamental to the story that you need them to be a different actor. No. Um, but but they're they they all play their role really well. All right. Well, let's talk about the lovely Elizabeth Shue, or as. Uh, as Keith kept calling her Lisa, which I'm sure that was the name she had her. <laughs> he was he, he was like, yeah, Lisa for this. I was like, who's Lisa? I was like, oh, Elizabeth, Lisa. 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 She, I was like, okay, oh, yeah. okay. Makes okay. Sense. Yeah, no, I'm cool. I'm cool. I can be friends with Lisa right. Shoe. Yeah. yeah, can I call her Lisa when I meet her? He was like, yeah. He said I could call you Lisa. Is that okay? Uh, yeah. Anyway. So uh, she started her acting career during her studies at Columbia High School and after her parents' divorce. She appeared in several television commercials, including Burger King, where she acted alongside future stars Sarah Michelle Gellar and Leah Thompson. She also appeared in commercials for De Beers Diamonds, Chewels Bubblegum, and Hellman's Mayonnaise. She had minor roles in The Royal Romance of Charles and Diana in 1982 and Somewhere Tomorrow in 1983, where she starred alongside Sarah Jessica Parker. Of course, she made her feature film debut in 1984 when she co-starred with Ralph Macchio in The Karate Kid. She was a series regular as the teenage daughter of a military family in the short-lived TV series Call to Glory between 84 and 85, which she followed in 1986, starring alongside Terrence Stamp in the British horror film Link, which Keith mentions in the interview. In 87, she appeared in the television movie Double Switch, part of the Disney Sunday movie series, co-starring with George Newbern, who would go on to support her in her first star vehicle, Adventures of Babysitting the same year. So they were in both of those movies the same year, which that was cool. Of course, in 88, she starred in Cocktail as a love interest of Tom Cruise. The following year, she starred in the short film Body Wars, and which was used at Epcot in the Atlas Simulator Attraction and the Wonders of Life Pavilion until, until 2007. Other roles followed, including appearing as Jennifer Parker, as we discussed in our Back to the Future panels for parts two and three where she replaced Claudia Wells who declined the role uh, to reprise her role because of her family illness. Of course, we've all, we've discussed that in yeah. depth. So go back and listen to the back to the future episodes and you can go back and listen to the karate kid episodes. Cause we do a little deep dive into Elizabeth shoe there as well. But, but yeah, as we said, perfect for the role. I think she embodies that character perfectly. And uh, I can't see anybody else in that role. She's just, she's, she does such a good job of being, she's very intelligent. She makes horrible mistakes throughout yes. the entire movie. Like yes. pretty much everything could have been avoided <laughs> if she had just like had a brain for a little bit. Like honestly, <laughs> obviously Brando running away, she couldn't have controlled that. Right. But there are so many times where she just makes 
the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's so nice to see a female character being completely flawed. Like she is not mm-hmm. this manic pixie dream girl. Oh, right. Perfect. right. She she makes mistakes and yet she just keeps pushing forward. She is mm-hmm. strong, she's intelligent, and you you trust her, even though you really shouldn't, just because of <laughs> all the terrible decisions she makes. Yeah. But she's so yeah. endearing. It's just I love her character. Yeah, as you say, she makes a lot of like, you know, leaving your purse at the house. That's a big, which it was funny because watching it today, I kind of paid attention because I was like, where is her purse when she leaves? Like, where is it? And it's still like on the couch because it was where uh, Sarah grabs it, grabs the book about going to college or whatever. But then when she goes outside, I noticed, I was like, well, wouldn't you get your keys in your purse? But her keys were in the coat pocket. Like she's grabbing the keys out of the coat pocket, going to the car. So like, oh, I can see you have your keys. And of course, back then we didn't carry our cell phones. We weren't thinking about, oh, where's my phone or where's my wallet? She was just, you know, and someone kind of panic. My friend's in trouble. Let me go get them. So it does somewhat make sense that she forgot it. I do have a question though, because this whole thing could have been avoided. As soon as she gets the flat tire, she's Mm -hmm. like, we'll wave somebody, somebody down. I'll Mm -hmm. buy a tire. I have my checkbook. Right. Okay. But just earlier, when Brenda called you, she was like, hey, can you please pay for the cab when I get mm-hmm. there? And she's like, that's going to be $40. I don't have $40. Yeah. I mean, you you have enough on your checkbook to buy a tire. Right. But not, can you, could you not use a checkbook to pay for a cab? I don't think so. I think, yeah, I don't think that was something that cabbies took checks. Like it wasn't a, you know, a I business mean, where they could verify funds I and guess. things of that nature. So, yeah. Um, but, still, but that's a good, like, that, that is a good point though. Yeah. I mean, she had an hour. She could have called her mom and just been like my dumb friend, Brenda mom. Right. I right. need $40. I'll write you a check or, or, or just, I need 40, you know, Oh, the, 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 the kid, the parents forgot to leave money for the kids. Can I borrow $40 uh-huh. until they get back and pay? Yeah. Yeah. She There's always those hour. extra things. Yeah, exactly. But again, exactly. it would have been no movie it would have been yeah, a super exactly. boring yeah. movie if she had just used a little bit of logic mm-hmm. but again she's 18 so she's not thinking straight mm-hmm. like that's, i just love that i and it was a very relatable line mm-hmm. that's gonna be 40 dollars. i don't have 40 dollars <laughs> brenda but just think about it let's just think about the the, the financials here 50 dollars for a tire or 40 dollars for a cab ride I'm like, first of all, I'd love to get a tire for forty for fifty bucks now. That would be right. awesome. <laughs> I could get four tires like tomorrow and be very yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah, inflation is not the same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and even like when you know they shoot out the window, the windshield, like that ended up being like what twenty five. What I don't know if he said how much it was, but he was like, I'll I don't pay know, for but the he window. covered it. Yeah, he should have. Honestly, he should have paid for all of it. He should he, have. Yeah, he shot at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so fun. Yeah, this movie is so crazy. I mean, it, it's it's but that's what makes it fun. Like it was an adventure, because that was perfectly right. titled "Adventures in Babysitting," uh, which I think in I think in the UK it was released as "A Night on the Town" or something like that. That's like it boring. Had a, yeah, it's like I don't think that grabs the same you know sense yeah. of what the movie was about as watching it again today. You realize how much of a fantasy quote unquote oh, yeah. it is because there's so many different things that are like 
it is kind of like that typical yeah. family movie where you know, yeah, it's bad, but it's not real bad. Or like you know, yeah, yeah it's these dangerous, thugs, but like not yeah, really. Yeah, it, it's good to have a a car thief for the heart of gold that's going to save <laughs> you from the really bad guys. And then you know, yeah. it's it's easy to like you know accidentally come out on stage in a blues bar and be able to sing on stage and, and know all the parts. That's how you get away. That's right. how you and get away. You dance off the stage to get out. Yeah. And Do you know then, how once I got older, like when I was a kid, I was like, well, one day I'm going to bust up in a blues bar and I'm, <laughs> they're going to tell me nobody leaves here without singing the blues. I'm sure right. there are plenty of people that yeah. leave there without singing the blues. <laughs> I thought that was, and I, I, well, we're going to get to that scene as we get going because oh, yeah. there's some fun stuff there. But, uh, but yeah, as a kid, I was like, oh, well, that's, you know, if I ever get in trouble downtown, I just don't, as long as I've got a blues song in my pocket, I should be okay. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and and it's so hard. Right. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, and then at the end when Sarah's like hanging from the window and like, you know, she's oh outside the party. She would be she's, dead. Right. She's at the window. Like everybody in the party is obviously not looking out the window and does not see this child. Oh, like no, nobody one person notices. in that party glances towards the right. window. Right. Towards the beautiful Chicago skyline <laughs> to see a child. Yeah, but they'd Wild. all been drinking, so they probably would have thought it was their imagination anyway. It's like <laughs> <laughs> they would have had to be doing something besides just drinking to think probably, it was their imagination, probably. which it was the '80s, so maybe. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Company parties. Oh yeah. All right, so let's get back to the to the cast. We'll ju we're jumping all over the place that like we like to do, but Sorry. anyway, so <laughs> it's okay. No, you're good. All right, so Keith Coogan as Brad Anderson. Of course, I got a chance to talk to Keith. So that was great. I'm going to mention that probably one of the 15 times. Such on the a really cool interview. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm introduced myself now. Hi, I'm Tim Williams. I interviewed Keith Coogan from my podcast. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, but as a child, he appeared on episodes of Little House on the Prairie, The Waltons, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy. Eight is enough. Night Rider, Growing Pains, Silver Spoons, Fame and Chips, or all the shows from my childhood. <laughs> it's like every <laughs> every show I watched as a child. I, I love that it seems like any like actor that was really famous during that time mm -hmm. had guest spots on all the shows you just mentioned. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. For sure. <laughs> any uh, anytime you hear somebody, oh yeah, they were on the Love Boat and they were on. Mork and Mindy Night Rider, and Laverne yeah. and Shirley. Night yeah. Rider, 18, all of them. Night Rider, yeah. Growing Pains, Silver Spoons, yeah. Yeah, Growing Pains for sure. <laughs> Which he said that he auditioned for the Mike Seaver role on Growing Pains. Oh, so I thought that was bless his heart. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't get there. But anyway, uh, so he also starred in films including Cousins, Hiding Out, Cheetah, Toy Soldiers, Book of Love, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, as well as straight to video releases such as Python, Soul Keeper, and Downhill Willie. So a few of those you can catch on Tubi. So for sure. I've already told you a couple of movies where if you ever move on to the 90s, mm -hmm. I've already gotten dibs. There's, you know, Birdcage, mm -hmm. and there's also Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Because <laughs> yeah, that's got, in that got same got vein yeah. as Adventures in Babysitting for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's he's done some stuff where he's like he's the He's the king of the babysitter movies because he did oh, two yeah. babysitter movies that are he's yeah. most popular for. But definitely, if you haven't seen Hiding Out, go watch that one. It's great with John Cryer. And then Toy Soldiers, another big favorite of mine. Also a 90s movie released in, 90, in 1990, you know, so, you know. Uh, but right. if I ever move to 90s, that's definitely going to be on my list. Uh, another fun one. So, oh, yeah. 
All right, and then we'll talk about Anthony Rapp. We mentioned him earl- earlier as Daryl Cooper Smith. I don't know why he needed Cooper Smith. And his anyway, uh, his even parents, when his mother yeah. was very progressive and somehow <laughs> had the least progressive child ever. Right, right. But I love how when Brad's introducing everybody at the chop shop, he's like, "And this is my best friend, Daryl Cooper Smith." Like, you, you got to give yeah. his full name. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Daryl, Daryl Bradley Cooper Smith, or whatever his middle name yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a Daryl Bradley Cooper Smith. <laughs> Does doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. So as we mentioned, rap first performed on Broadway in 1981 in The Little Prince and the Aviator, a musical based on the novel The Little Prince. It closed during previews. He made his big screen debut right here on Adventures in Babysitting, directed by Chris Columbus, who later directed Rap in the film version of Rent several years later. Yeah. Rap has appeared in several movies and Broadway shows. His notable roles include those in such films as Days That Confused, A Beautiful Mind, School Ties, Road Trip, Six Degrees of Separation. He was in the stage and film version as well as Rent. Uh, fun fact, he dyed his naturally blonde hair red for the movie, the producers were concerned his blonde hair would mind audiences too much of Anthony Michael Hall. To be fair, yeah. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I read that. I was like, that's that's yeah. pretty pretty accurate. I yeah. would I would definitely see that. He looked that very much like Anthony Michael Hall. And he does. Play, he did kind of play that character a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that was a good call. And to be honest, it wasn't until I read that little tidbit while we were getting ready for this that I was like, mm-hmm. oh. He's naturally blonde. <laughs> in my head, he's a redhead. Even yeah. though most of the stuff, I guess, he has been blonde. In my head, he's a redhead. That was the first. That was the first time you saw him. So I'm sure you're probably yeah. like first time but association. Yeah. Well, I guess so. But like the first time I really paid attention to it being Anthony Rapp was Rent, mm-hmm. and I gotcha. don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch all those to to remember. All right, so moving right along, we got Maya Bruton as Sarah Anderson. I thought this was funny. I didn't realize. In 1985, she appeared in Back to the Future as Sally Baines, the younger sister of Marty McFly's mother, Lorraine Baines. So she's only in that dinner where they're sitting around the dinner table scene. I have to go back and watch and see her there. After her role in Adventures in Babysitting, she played one of the children in the 1990 TV movie with Robert Mitchum, which was the basis for the series A Family for Joe, and co-starred the 1990 TV, TV movie Sky Trackers, with Pamela Sue Martin. This was followed by her run on Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which is a show that I definitely watched and probably remembered her in that as well. Her other television credits during the late 80s included appearances on 21 Jump Street, Highway to Heaven, Trapper John MD, and The Wonder Years. Very cool. I probably see saw her in The Wonder Years because <laughs> I loved that show. Yep, yep. But other than that, you know, Back to the Future and Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> she does such a good job in this movie. Yeah. She is so, she's the perfect, like, kid at that mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of babies, when a kid is that age, they they have the tendency to make them wise beyond their years. Right. Or overly annoying to, the like, yeah. so immature they're annoying kind of. And a- she is just that. Yeah, she's annoying in the same mm-hmm. way that any little sister is annoying. Right. But she does such a good job of, you know, she's just hyper fixated on Thor. Mm-hmm. And she's got <laughs> all of these facts. And I love mm-hmm. that also she's played by a female character. Like mm-hmm. that's a female character who's obsessed with this superhero. Mm-hmm. And she's got all these facts. Because a lot of times a character like that would be given to a boy. 
Right. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I she's just she's so funny and she's it's so clever at the beginning when she's mad at her brother for calling mm-hmm. Thor depending on the vo- version that you watched <laughs> but calling right. Thor a weirdo. Mm-hmm. And she tricks him into admitting that he likes Chris in front yeah. of her without him knowing. It's so he's funny. writing her love poems. <laughs> yeah, so good. She's just the perfect mm-hmm. kid in a yes. movie, which you don't see very often. Oh yeah, like you said, they're in the eighties. They were typically like, or even someone now, like the kids are smarter than the adults. They're the wiser yeah. ones, you know that kind of thing. So yeah, it was good to see her be like a true kid like, and. 10, 11 yeah, year 10 old and 10, eight, nine ish somewhere yeah, in that range. Like she's, she's still very much a child. Mm-hmm. You don't forget that she's a child and she makes bad decisions when she's mm-hmm. not being watched because oh, yeah. she's 10. <laughs> right. Right. Like and she then, gets bored and she wanders off, even though they're being chased by gangsters mm-hmm. because there's a toy store. Right. And Hannah kept saying, when they're, when they're when the car when it gets the flat tire, this is great. Like she's like, this, this is, is great. great. And it's like, why does <laughs> she think this is great? Like, cause it's something Cause new it's and exciting. exciting. Right, right. She doesn't know what's dangerous. Yeah, she's a kid. She doesn't realize that they could die. Right. Yeah, that's the farthest thing from her mind. Yeah. So I thought it was a little cool tidbit from the movie. She wears a backpack with a picture of Gizmo on it, and this is of course a reference to Gremlins, which was written by Chris Columbus, the director. Very clever. Yep. All right, moving right along, we got Penelope Ann Miller as Brenda, which this is another great character, and she's so So funny. She's so good. I do think when I was younger, I thought both she and Elizabeth, she were a lot older than just 17. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably because they were played by actors that were a lot older than (laughs) 17. But Brenda specifically, I thought was at least 30. When I was a kid, <laughs> I didn't think she was that much older, but they did. I will say this Brenda definitely is less mature. Like you can tell mm-hmm. she's a little mm-hmm. bit less mature, but yeah, she does. They definitely look older than 17 that they're supposed yeah. to be. I mean, I was like Shirley in college, like, you know, 1920. Yeah. Uh, which I think she, I will get to it. I think, I think Elizabeth, she was 23 when they yeah. filmed this. So, yeah. But Penelope Ann Miller, she began her career on Broadway in the 1985 original production of Biloxi Blues and received a Tony Award nomination for the 89 revival of Our Town. She's appeared in several major Hollywood films, particularly in the late 80s and early 90s, including the film version of Biloxi Blues in 88 with Matthew Broderick. Of course, Big Top Pee Wee with Pee Wee Herman in 88, The Freshman in 1990, Awakenings in 90, Kindergarten Cop, probably one of her biggest roles in 1990. Other People's Money in 91, You're the Comet in 92, and Carlito's Way in 93, for which she received a Golden Golden Globe Award nomination. Other films include a starring role in The Relic in 97, supporting roles in Chaplin in 92, Along Came a Spider in 2001, and The Artist in 2011. And of course, really she was on the cool. TV show. Yeah, she was on the TV show Weeds on Showtime for a good while as well. So I'm going to have to look that up. I watched that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's her. Same, same person. Interesting. And isn't, she, okay. isn't she the same one in red with Bruce Willis? No, I'm thinking no, of somebody Mary else. Louise Parker. Okay. Maybe I'm getting the two of them confused. Mary Louise Parker yeah. was the one on weeds. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm getting them I was mixed like, up. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I got those mixed up. 
I'm like, okay. I was like, why didn't that show up in my in my my facts? Because that's not true. I got them mixed <laughs> up. Because it was not her. Right. I'm sure it, she would love to get some moot, some money residuals. Oh, of course. From yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the stuff that happens to her in the she bus station. She deserves it. I'm sorry. I was like, that could have been its own separate movie. Like, Adventures at the Bus Station could have been its own. My favorite one, though. Well, my two favorite. I don't know. They're all favorites. Um, I love the old guy. You're in my house. You just moved. Yeah. I love that. And then when the 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 lady takes her her glasses and leaves the sunglasses while she's watching the Brady yeah. Bunch, it's yeah. hilarious. And then it's, it's of, really good. The rat. Yeah. yeah, the rat. Oh gosh, that was funny. And then of course my favorite one is hot dog. Uh, the hot dog. If you don't have any money, I don't have a wiener. Which I'm going to talk about that when we get into trivia as okay. well, because that was a that was an added scene later. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. Whether she's like, there's a guy with a gun. Like, why is a guy standing there? Opening with his coat a with gun. a gun. Like, like so crazy. It yeah. is so funny. Like, it's not fair to say that she deserves it. But mm -hmm. at the same time, like, I, they don't go into details. And so the fact that she's just 17, mm -hmm. she's like, I hate my stepmom. <laughs> Why? Why do you hate right. her? What, what did she do? Right. No, I right. need details. What, what mm -hmm. is so bad that mm -hmm. you ran away from home? And so it's just, it, it makes you wonder like, okay, what, what led to this? I, I need a Brenda story, I mm -hmm. guess, because yeah. she's just crazy. And so I love Yeah. I love that when they get back home, like at the end and she's sitting at the door, it's like, okay, Brenda, go home. I can't go home. You got to go. And she just puts out the door and closes, and closes the door. And like, that's <laughs> it. Like Brenda's gone at that point. Like, it's Hi, just, Brenda. Yeah, it's like you've been enough of a problem. Go home. I can't deal with it anymore. Oh gosh, so funny. All right, we got a few more here. Bradley Whitford as Mike Toddwell. So cool. Whitford first appeared on television in a 1985 episode of The Equalizer, followed by a two-year recurring recurring role on the ABC daytime drama All My Children. He does seem like a soap opera actor. Uh, his, <laughs> I'm not just kidding. His film debut was in the 1986 film Dead as a Doorman. He made his Broadway theater debut in 1990, playing Lieutenant Jack Ross, followed a few months later in the lead role of Lieutenant, Lieutenant Daniel Caffey in the Aaron Sorkin written play A Few Good Men. I love that movie. Uh -huh. This is the begin. Oh, this was the beginning of a recurring working relationship between Whitford and Sorkin. Of course, he joined the cast of The West Wing as Josh Lyman with the show's premiere in 1999. For his role, he won an Emmy Award. Emmy Award in 2001 for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series. My favorite fact is he was allowed to use his own Camaro for the movie, and the yeah. license plate so cool was the actual license plate he had on his car. He is, like, if you looked up in the dictionary the word smarmy, yeah. his picture would be yeah. next yeah. to it. And you would just, there would be no definition. It would just be his picture. You're right. like, oh, okay, I know exactly what smarmy means now. Mm -hmm. He's but yeah, and and when he comes to the door, I mean, surely mm -hmm. he's in college. I mean, he, there's yeah. no way he's in high school. <laughs> he, he he can he can run for president. He's so. <laughs> I mean, he's, he tries to act. He tries to act act young, but he looks like you can see the five o'clock shadow. Yeah, piercing through his makeup to not like him, make him look younger. So yeah. 
HD did not do him any favors when it came to this movie. <laughs> I love that actor because he does such a great job mm-hmm, of playing mm-hmm. the bad guy. He's always yeah. the bad guy. Yeah. And I, in my brain, because he's currently, or he was on um, a few seasons of The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, and I yeah. like to, in my brain, imagine that this this movie happens in the same universe because <laughs> he's one of the like founding people of the mm-hmm. the society in the handmaid's tale and so i'd like to think that he grows up one day to become the ultimate bad guy interesting theory okay Just, I'm, you know. I'm with you i'm with you <laughs> it makes sense i mean hey laramie can believe that you know uh, officer powell was some family matters and you know yes. he, he he left New, uh, la and moved to chicago and and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Maybe Laramie and I just like to live in a world where actors everybody's connected. Everything's connected. Right. And actors right. like their IMDB page is telling one story. Mm-hmm. You know, when certain actors play the same type of role over and over again, it's yeah. easy to it's easy for that to seem a, a correlation there. But yeah. Yeah. But Bradley, I, I love Bradley Whitford yeah. because oh, yeah. he does such a good job of playing just an absolute a-hole. <laughs> in everything he does mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and he just his face it's just his face you just want it he's got a punchable face <laughs> i was just about to ask you that question i was like would There's, you say his face is punchable it, <laughs> it sure is like you, the second she opens the door and she spent all of that time mm-hmm. getting ready and she looks so cute mm-hmm. she opens the door and he's in his stupid jeans and tennis right. shoes and and he's just standing there like yeah i'm sorry my, my sister's sick your sister's sick mm, contagious Shut right up. no you're not <laughs> it was the one time in the movie where brenda was right he's lying mm-hmm. and yeah she could do better than him i also right. love that that like mm-hmm. overarching thing throughout the movie of everyone telling her like you can do so much better mm-hmm. than him mm-hmm. like you are better than him. He right. is not worth it. And she's like, no, it's, he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. He's the only thing that's ever happened yeah, to that you. That was a great Move line. on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's such a 17-year-old thing way to be. Yeah. To think which that, is why... Which is yeah. why I thought he was in college. Like she's like, oh, well, yeah. he's you know, uh, you know, obviously he's older. Because I'm assuming that if she's 17, she'll be a she's junior. Supposed no. to be. I thought she was supposed to be a supposed senior. A senior, yeah. She does say that. that in the party. Yeah. 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 But I don't see them being the same age. Like he's definitely no, a few at least years a freshman older than her. and a freshman in college, college. not a junior or a sophomore. Sophomore. Yeah. 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 So maybe they've been dating for a while. He's already graduated. Kind of a thing. So. Yeah. Just this, so cool. <laughs> red flag after red flag with that right. one. Right. I want to think that's real. That is the sole cool uh, license plate was yeah. his. But how convenient that that's what they see outside the restaurant that his car is parked there yeah. with the license plate. So that's a little, you know. Once again, every everything is such a unique coincidence or like a perfectly yeah. timed coincidence. Uh, I want to mention Calvin Levels as Joe Gipp. He was great in this. Yes. Uh, an actor that did not really do much after this, and I don't know why, because I thought he was great in his character. So good. Yeah. So I definitely wanted to, I wanted to mention his name, even though we don't have any you know uh, other things he's been in. 
And then we mentioned earlier George Newburn, which is not the name I associate with his face as Dan Lynch, <laughs> the college student. Um, yeah. He just doesn't look like a George Newburn. That just, no. I want to see him as like a 50 year old man sitting in an Oxford yeah. sweater with his legs crossed in front of a fireplace. But he's, anyway, he's best friends with Bob Newhart, George <laughs> yeah. Newburn. <laughs> yeah. uh, but his first lead role was in the 1987 double switch. We talked about that one already. From 86 to 92, he had a recurring role as Payne McElroy, the son of designer Julia Sugarbaker, played by Dixie Carter on the series Designing Women, which would a, a great show that was. I love that show. Mm -mm, yep. mm -mm. He has since guest starred on television programs such as Providence, Chicago Hope, Friends, Bull, CSI, Medium, Ghost Whisperer, Touched by an Angel, Criminal Minds. And private practice, of course, most people remember him as the former CIA operative on Scandal a couple of years ago. And of course, his film credits include Switching Channels from 1988 with Kathleen Turner, Burt Reynolds, and Christopher Reeve, and Father of the Bride and its sequel, Father of the Bride Part Two, which is probably the, the one that I remember him the most from. I was a big yeah. Father of the Bride fan with Steve Barton. Yeah. If Bradley Whitford has a punchable face, mm -hmm. George Newburn has the exact opposite, <laughs> which I guess would be a kissable face. Like he's just like a precious, mm -hmm. he's just mm -hmm. precious. Yeah. And yeah, he was the, he was perfect for that role. Like you just needed to cast somebody who you instantly was just like, She's mm -hmm. going to like him. Right. And right. she's going to want to kiss him later. Yeah. Yeah. I like how like she's at the party and they, they lock eyes or she looks at him a couple of times like, wait, wait, wait. Don't you have a boyfriend that's supposed to be home taking care of his sick yeah. daughter? And all of a sudden now you're like, like she has Google, not broken Google, up with this right. guy yet. Google eyes with the guy at the, at the college party. So and once again, perfect coincidence. There's this college oh, yeah. party with a bunch of kids and don't get thrown out that no. no one's throwing up on them that they're, you know, and they meet this guy that's going to give her $50 to a girl that he's never met before. Never met, never seen, doesn't know, but you know what? It's fate. Right. They love right. each other. It's yeah. Love <laughs> this first is sight. the best thing that's ever happened to her. Right. Tim. Right. <laughs> right. He's no longer the only thing that happened to her. And now she has a yeah. second thing that's happening to her. Now she's had two whole things happen to her. <laughs> Uh, all right, we're got. I got to get through this cast. Let's yeah, I know. It. I'm so, sorry. All right, so I'm just gonna mention this next couple. Of just great characters. This was all like the you know kind of side characters. John Chandler played Bleak, the mob boss, which he was great. So and I kept trying to imitate his voice watching the movie, which is like I can't do it. <laughs> but he was great. My favorite part is him with the parents, and they're like, "Do you know who got made these quiches? What the caterer? <laughs> what?" <laughs> <laughs> when I, we were watching that scene, Laramie was mm -hmm. in the room and Laramie goes like, is he a robot? Like, why? <laughs> what is what is his problem? And then the parents of you believe it's like, you've, you haven't seen this guy at all at the party for the last four hours yeah. you've been there. He's standing behind <laughs> He's the table. He doesn't look like he belongs there at all. But you were no. having to ask him these questions. And then I love how when she causes him to trip over the cord and he falls, they're taking look, be careful. Like he passed out like, you know. Don't, they're, they're being very careful <laughs> with him on the floor, which I thought was great. Uh, so good. So he's the only person in the movie that gets knocked out twice because he gets knocked oh. over then. And then, of course, uh, Joe Gibb punches him out. You know, so and I, I, I do like that every time Joe Gibb is on screen, someone calls him Joe Gibb. So obviously there's another yeah. Joe in the organization because they don't <laughs> just call him Joe. He is Joe Gibb. It's like in school, there was the... Kaylee W, Kaylee R, and Kaylee S. <laughs> right, right. Um, so yeah, yeah, I love 
the idea that they're <laughs> Joes. Yeah. So we've got a Joe Gibb, we've got a Joe John, we've got a Joe right. Jan Jackson. Right. And then Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson. Excuse <laughs> me. All right. So then we got Ron Canada as Graydon, uh, the Bleak's second in command, which I know he's been in some other stuff. The uh, the heavier set black guy. He was good. Yeah. Uh, John Ford Noonan as handsome John Pruitt. Another one of my favorite characters. <laughs> John Pruitt was great. I love when he comes okay. out there and he's like, he's whistling and got his hands behind his back, you know. <laughs> wild that character is crazy yeah. i know we're trying to power through this no but go i ahead. do just i love he's he's he shows up he establishes himself as mm -hmm. like a good trustworthy guy right like he's super nice to these kids and you're just like okay well how is it oh his wife's cheating on him and he completely blacks out right right doesn't realize right. that he's got four kids in the car right. next to but him that's what happens when you go in the city stay in the suburbs kids <laughs> <laughs> but at least no you know what no he still should have paid for their tire yeah he told but, him he was going to pay for their tire and right. then he shot their car up right right but I do love how he's playing with the kids in the cab, like before yeah. he gets the call about, you know, how'd you use your hand? your hand? Yeah, he's like, well, yeah. I still have it. You do? Where is it? It's in the glove in the compartment. Glove. And then I love with Daryl when he grabs the gun. He's got oh, his, hands, his hands covered. He's like, is it a hand? No. Oh, thank God. It's oh. a gun. Oh, God. And he oh, God. His... <laughs> okay. Great, great writing, great mm -hmm. execution. Oh, Just great those, performance. Those yeah those little things make it so rewatchable because it's they're such fun moments and it's so it still like holds up in that sense mm -hmm. because adults mess with kids like that mm -hmm. it doesn't mm -hmm. matter like you're you're always i'm always messing with my kids yeah oh yeah and, yeah. and they know me well enough to know mm -hmm. that they can just be like mama right Right. Whereas, you know, he's a complete stranger and he's like, oh, yeah, I lost my hand. It's in the glove compartment. <laughs> right. Right. Which is, once again, makes him even more endearing, even though oh, yeah. he goes crazy. You still he like him. Like, he's still, right, he's still a great character. Like he's still yeah. I would still like call like if my car broke down, I'd still call him like, hey, I'd, can we just not hey. go by your house this time? But can you come Lord. help me? <laughs> I'm going to need you to make sure before, before right. you pick me up, that Beverly right. does not have that car outside <laughs> of your house. Right, right. Uh, and then I love they have an actual fist fight with him and the 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 adulterer or whatever. And the yeah. guy, the, <laughs> it's just on. like the most ridiculous right. fist yeah. fight in the it, middle it, of the road. Right. It's highly choreographed with just a few punches. But, you know, he only has he can't hit him with a hook. So all the <laughs> punches are with this good hand, which I love. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Oh, we can talk about this movie for four hours. Okay, moving on. We don't need to. <laughs> uh, the other big name of the movie that before anybody knew he was a big name, Vincent D'Onofrio as Dawson, yeah. or, or Thor in disguise, Thor. as we know at the end. His first paid role was in Off-Broadway's This Property is Condemned. He continued appearing in plays and worked as a bouncer, a bodyguard, and a delivery man. As a film actor, his career break came when he played a mentally unbalanced recruit in Full Metal Jacket. Also in 1987, directed by Stanley Kubrick, for his role, D'Onofrio gained nearly 70 pounds. He had a major role in Dying Young in 91 and appear appeared prominently in the box office smash Men in Black in 1997 as the bad guy Edgar the Bug. Other films of note are Mystic Pizza in 88, JFK in 91, The Player in 92, Ed Wood in 94, The Cell in 2000, The Breakup in 2006, and Jurassic World in 2015, but he's been in. He's been in everything. Yeah, but I did read that 
so he went to film this right after finishing Full Metal Jacket, and he like lost all that weight and got in shape for yeah. the role of Dawson very quickly. So I mean, he looked great when he comes out. Yeah, at the end, he looks know? like Thor. Yeah, exactly. Which I can even say, like, even as a kid, I wouldn't say that I was a big, you know, mm-hmm. you know. Of course, your husband is a big comic person. I wasn't yeah, like but I huge didn't know him. Then. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> true. But I kind of knew who Thor was. But of course. The good thing about what I loved about Sarah's bedroom is she had all those pictures of Thor, yeah. like the huge, like big cutouts against the wall. Like so even if you didn't know who Thor was, they gave you those establishing pictures so that when he came at the end, it's like, oh my gosh, he looks just like Thor. So yeah, that was cool how they were Very able to clever. do that. But, so yeah. it was this movie was probably my first introduction to Thor because right. I was my parents were not comic book people. We didn't mm-hmm. watch a ton of superhero things when I was a kid. And so this movie was just my introduction to Thor and mm-hmm. those visual images up in her bedroom at the beginning and her her pictures and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. <laughs> and I love how she was using Brad's Clearasil for Gerana Brown. <laughs> so good. That was hilarious. Yeah. Last person, Lolita Davido, Davidovich, Davidovich, I guess you say that. So she was a big actress more so in the 90s, uh, but she was the one that was, uh, they have her listed in IMDb as Luann, but in the credits, she's just the drunk girl, which is the girl at the, oh, at the party that's yeah. making out with Daryl. Uh, but she's best known for portraying Blaze star in the 1989 film Blaze, for which she received a Chicago Film Critics Association Award nomination. She later had starring roles in films including Leap of Faith in 92, Raising Cain in 92, Intersection in 94, Cobb in 94, Jungle to Jungle in 97, Gods and Monsters in 98, Mystery Alaska in 99, and Play It to the Bone in 99. So I, I recognize her face. Like, she's definitely much younger there yeah. playing a, a, you know, a college student. But uh, I love her I in saw... Jungle to Jungle. Yeah. Oh, jungle yeah, yeah. to Jungle's great. <laughs> Tim Allen. Oh, yeah. Disney. And now, these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Let's talk about iconic favorite scenes. Uh, What is your iconic scene? So I have two. Okay. But the most iconic to me is that opening scene okay. of her dancing to And Then He Kissed Me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is, for me, it was a very relatable scene. Just like the dancing around your room and also establishes later her kind of being like a secret performer, which is why <laughs> she's able to sing the blues right, later. Right. 
but also she's just she it establishes she's young she's clearly very young mm-hmm. she's got this but i mean who hasn't like done the like curtain over their head and <laughs> pretended it was a veil and walked through like oh every second of that scene i probably just for this viewing alone watched mm-hmm. that scene five times <laughs> i love it it's mm-hmm. just it's so precious it it just gets you excited about the movie you're about to watch but my second scene is the scene of them singing the blues yeah yeah that's my it's, that's my number one it's so it, good yeah yeah, it, babysitting blues is the that's I mean when I think of this movie that's the first yeah. that's the first scene I think of and there's other great scenes I oh, mean like yeah. other favorite scenes is the subway with the gangs is <laughs> hilarious don't uh, f with the right. babysitter yeah <laughs> uh, one of the few PG thirteen movies that allowed the f word to be in it yeah. twice um, yeah but yeah so that scene ones we've already talked about meeting Pruitt for the first time yes. Uh, I love the scene at the hospital where the doctor is like, I'm sorry, your friend is dead. <laughs> He's dead. Yeah. Uh, and she passes out and then there yeah. he is. <laughs> so good. I love that. I love the scene where she's out on the window ledge. That's mm-hmm. such a stressful scene. Right. It just her, her, uh, Elizabeth shoe walking around the party in the big fluffy coat. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> just trying to be really subtle. It's all of it. It's a nonstop iconic, scene mm-hmm. movie it's yeah there's fantastic. so many like and, and like i said all just about every scene with the friend brenda. Brenda, yeah. brenda at the bus station like every single scene she almost steals the movie from elizabeth shoe yeah if they if they had gone to the if they had done more in the bus stop she almost would have stole the movie from her but like i said it could have it could have been its own separate movie yes honestly i mean we if if we never saw what brenda went through I think it would we still, still be a great movie. Still be a great movie because there's enough going on, but it's just the added little bits were good because there were kind of comic relief when all the yeah. it was attention breaking, machine, yeah. but also it established like why it's important that they get to that her. Chris gets to her, yeah, because she could die. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Life without cell phones is so funny. But also, like, at what point? Do you have to let go of your grudge with your stepmom? Like, at what point could she have just called her dad right, and said, "Like, right. Dad, I'm at the bus stop. You need mm-hmm. to come get me now." Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then we, there'd be no movie. Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't also, that be terrible if, if she did <laughs> and they Chris got there and, and she's she like, "Where gone. are you?" She's like, "Oh, I'm home now. I'm sorry. Oh, I called my daddy. Picked me up." Yeah. I figured you gave up. Right, right. I was here for two hours waiting for you. It's kind of good that they didn't they didn't lean too much into the bad guys. Like they're yeah. they're there to chase them, and that's about it. But there wasn't yeah. like anything super you know uh, sinister about them. Like we didn't no. think they were really going to kill them. They really just wanted the magazine back. That was the main thing. Yeah. They needed that for the the job. Which once again, they didn't have to go into great depth of what kind of no. operation they're running. You just knew they were the bad it's guys. It's a chop so. shop. They, yeah. they they ran a chop shop. And yeah. honestly, it, it's it's not a victimless crime, but it's mm-hmm. not a violent right. crime spree right. they're running. So you're not concerned about them hurting people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, probably putting financial burdens on people, but at the <laughs> end of the day, their insurance will help them. Right. 
Let's talk about some trivia, other scenes, some trivia. I may have to skip some of these and put them in the show notes, but we talked about Sarah's obsession with Thor. That was not the original obsession she had. What was the original obsession? The first one was, was Dan Rather. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been an interesting, not at all. Can you imagine the posters on her wall? (laughs) Right. Right. And how she would dress. Right. So, so it went through a few phases. This is according to Simpkins, the screenwriter. He said, originally she had a crush on Dan Rather. In the original (laughs) script, she was actually a news junkie. Then we changed it to having a crush on the Chicago Bears. But Jeffrey Katzenberg from Disney said, no, because in 10 minutes, nobody's going to remember them. So like, you know, if you would have had them as kids, because I think there was a a scene that was written where they were going to go to the Bears stadium and run into some of the players for like cameos. But then that dates the movie too much. I mean, I think it that does, was a smart, yeah. smart choice. So then they started landing on comic book characters because Columbus, Chris Columbus was a big comic book person. He said, we tried really hard to get Spider-Man. That was our big push. But Marvel kept saying no. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally, they came to us and said, we've got this Thor guy. Just take him and use him. Do whatever you want. <laughs> so they got the just, you know, which I think is perfect. It's really perfect. Yeah. Like yeah. it's such... And especially it has helped the movie age a little better because mm-hmm. now everyone does oh, yeah. know who Thor is. Yeah, of course. Whereas at the time, it just kind of introduced people to mm-hmm. Thor. Right. And it, it helps that, you know, it doesn't age the movie because mm-hmm. Thor has been around a long time. Right. He's right. Being still a comic around. book character. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't, he doesn't age, you know, and that yes. kind of thing. So he has a and different because represent- he wasn't actually thor mm-hmm. it's just this childhood wonder mm-hmm. that wins over yeah what was his name again dawson 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 yeah dawson's garage which i thought was cool that if you notice and i, I think i only noticed at this time on pruitt's truck when you see dawson's yeah. garage the dawson's is dr- is drawn almost like comic book character block letters oh, like it's cool. almost comic bookish the way it's written i was like oh that was really smart for the yeah. set designer to do that to kind of foreshadow yeah. and allude yeah. to it in the later so yeah all right so we talked about the hot dog scene with brenda at the bus station that was a last <laughs> minute addition so keith coogan said they had shot out the bus station on the chop shot set they built an insert so basically those are all studio the chop mm-hmm. shop and the the bus station they built an insert set just for the hot dog scene. Simpkins continued, Disney was asking for something, more time or whatever. Chris and I thought it was ridiculous. So I wrote this scene we'd never use, which was the slip me the wiener line. And they used it and I was mortified. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I guess they were they were looking for- You've like got you said, no money. I've got no wiener. Yeah. It's like, it's a perfect good check. You know, like I bought, what is it? I bought makeup from Chris and she wrote the book. I'm writing it over to you. To his credit, like it's not, it's it's like a twice endorsed check, right? Right, which dates this significantly, so much. yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, even the, even back then, I was like, you can double, you know, you can double check, you know, you can double sign a check. I mean, I think, I think my mom had done that once or twice, like, as I, as you know, once I got a little yeah. older, or I remember that being something that was done where people would give you a check and you sign it over to somebody else or whatever. Yeah. But I, I do that don't today. understand how that would happen. Like I don't yeah. un- just Venmo me. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> right. But I love you. Like, You're going to throw the hot dog away. It's, it's, it's still money. It's perfectly like, good check. You would right. rather throw the hot dog away than give it to me. 
it's a great scene. But yeah, I think like you said, they were they were trying to find those lighter scenes to kind of lighten up some of the you know more stressful aspects. So that was that was funny that they they that was like a throwaway scene, like they'll never make the movie and they put it in. And we're <laughs> talking about it now. All right, let's talk about the blues. So director Chris Columbus wanted to make the movie set in Chicago to capture the city's blues scene, which the soundtrack is very blues heavy. Oh, it's such a good soundtrack. Yeah. So Simpkins said, when Chris came on board, many of his many contributions was telling me he wanted the movie set in Chicago for the Chicago blues scene. None of that music was in the script. That was all Chris's contribution. He said, the iconic blues bar scene wasn't in the original draft. He said, Chris said to me early on, as these kids are running around escaping from the bad guys, I want them to run into a blues bar and stop to sing a song. I was like, are you nuts? There is no way to do that. He said, figure it out. He said, weeks go by and he knocks on my door and he says, how's that scene going? I said, it's not. Chris, I really don't want to do it. I don't understand the scene. I don't know how it happens, why they're being forced to sing on stage. Chris looked at me and said, it's a house rule. They don't leave the stage until they sing the blues. He said, I wish I could take credit for that, but that was all Chris Columbus. I'm so glad. Yeah. It's such a good scene. Like this movie is borderline a musical because of this scene and the very first one. Yeah. And which is probably why I adore it so much. And that Mm -hmm. scene, it's so good. That song is so catchy. Right. But it's also, that's one of the most iconic lines. Like that is probably the iconic. The iconic line from the movie is nobody leave this place without singing the blues. I mean, like so if good. somebody if somebody shouted that out in a crowd, you would We'd know all that's know. from Adventures of Babysitting. You know, it's like that's Absolutely. that's that's iconic. It's an iconic line. So uh bravo to Chris Columbus for doing that. It's all right. These guys. Yeah. <laughs> but the and there was a soundtrack for this movie, which of course you can get now on iTunes. But I remember when this movie came out, I searched in there was no Amazon. It was you could only yeah. go to record stores or you know try to find you know Sam Goody or Sam Goody's, Turtles. yeah, yeah. But I could never find the soundtrack, so I literally had a tape recorder that I'd recorded the song off the TV so that I could go back and listen to it because Amazing. I love that. I did the same thing with Howard the Duck for you know, but you know, like, <laughs> uh, which which could be it's you know if, if I did one shots like Laramie, I would do a one shot about who did it, who sang better on film, Leah Thompson or Elizabeth Shue. Because they both had their singing, you know, their singing debuts in the movies. Elizabeth Shue. I'm just gonna say, sorry. Eh. Eh. It's it's tough. It's I'm, so I, hard babysitting these guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. So moving on. So, sorry. oh, where is the? Uh, let's see. Oh, so Keith Coogan talked about record about how they did the the scene. So he said we went on a Sunday to record in a recording studio in Chicago with Albert Collins and the Icebreakers, the band. There was some structure for the song, but they basically, in one or two takes, pounded out the music for it and Albert's part. Then they brought us in, and Lisa did her part with Albert, and we did our backups. He said the next day we were at the blues bar with that as a playback, and we were lip-syncing to it. He said, but Albert Collins had never lip-synced in his life, so there was a learning curve. So it took him a lot longer to film that scene oh. than they wanted to because he wasn't used to lip-syncing, which I thought yeah. was great. great scene. So good. Speaking of Brad, this might be the last little. No, I won't after this. So in the film, of course, Chris breaks the heart of young Brad when she doesn't reciprocate his romantic feelings towards her. But of course, life imitates art as Keith Coogan actually was quite keen on Elizabeth Shue, despite the fact that she was six years older than him. She was 23 and he was turning 17 during filming. 
He recalls taking Shu to what she thought was a strictly work-related restaurant dinner, only for him to suggest that they date. Coogan stated that she laughed in his face exactly like the laugh <laughs> she does in the movie. He said, she totally crushed my heart, and I took that with me for the film. And I will say, after reading that, it's very evident. Like, you can see it, him hiding for her. her. Yeah. I, like I told Keith in the interview, I was like, you know, I he became such a good favorite actor from this movie because yeah. I was him. Like that was, he was the character that represented me. And I had a best friend just like Daryl trying to get me in trouble. Oh, no. And, you know, so it was like that dynamic was like, I saw myself on screen in that movie. Yeah. So, and of course there was a babysitter. I didn't have a babysitter that I really at that age that I pined for, but I remember being a little kid and like teenage babysitters was like, Ooh, she's cute or whatever. Yeah. Of, you know, who knows what I thought back then? But anyway, um, <laughs> oh, I like her. I don't understand why yeah. I like her so much, but I do like her. <laughs> yeah. I thought this was interesting. An accidental issue with one of the props led to the end, how the movie ended, how it kind of came together. So, I'll, okay. so Simpkins in his interview said, We were shooting the sequence behind the toy store, running down the alley with that really clumsy line of dialogue. It was late and we were stuck and we needed to get it out. So Sarah had the hat, the hammer, the backpack, the cape, the girls loaded up. We're done for the night. Everything was all gone. Everyone was all gone. And our script supervisor, Sue Richards, comes up to me and says, I feel so terrible. She didn't have the backpack in that scene. She should have had it and she didn't have it. He said, Chris and I were thinking this is a big deal. And we thought, wait, we can fix this. We never really thought of how George, the boyfriend, shows up at the house unless the skate was in the car with the address on it. So forgetting the backpack is how the skate ended up in the car and how he ended up at the house. It was a fortunate accident. That's really cute. I was like, that was pretty cool. I pretty like cool. that. Uh, and then my last little bit of trivia. In the film, Chris Parker is a 17-year-old high school student and four years younger than Dan Lynch, who is a 21-year-old college student. When the film was released, Elizabeth Shue was 23 years old and one year older than George Newborn, who was 22 years old. <laughs> you can't tell no they i think they they honestly look about the same age which is why I do. it's hard for them to think that she was still in high school but well uh, did you did you see the the trivia about the magazine yes i did do you want to talk was, about it i i don't mind if you don't mind go ahead yeah it was right. when I, it was when i skipped but you go ahead it's actually Elizabeth Shue posed. Mm -hmm. Yes. She's fully clothed, but yes. they sh she did pose at the Playboy Mansion. Mm -hmm. And she still has the magazine yep. to this day. And I would think she probably does because she, she was very adamant about people knowing that she was fully clothed, that there was, yeah. there was no... So I'm sure that's why she has the magazine because she doesn't want people ogling over her. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... It's, pictures that are somewhat risque anyway, so... Yeah, I mean, as risque as... I mean, it really is just like a feather. You can't really see a ton no, no. in the movie, but it's so, it's so, it's such a weird through line. It is a weird, throughout it the is movie. weird. Yeah. It's, I read somewhere that it originally was R, but then they, they tried to trim it back to give it a wider release. But I'm like, I can't imagine this ever being an R rated movie, but there's still yeah. like that, that being a through line was still a little bit more adult than yeah. what you would expect from more of a family comedy and everything daryl says yeah yeah but it was pg-13 so you know and yeah. this is this is a couple of years after you know two years after pg-13 became a rating so 
the studios were trying to, they were playing with that line of like trying right. to find the balance of what, you know, how much of adult can we put in this kid movie and right. kind of appeal to the the parents that are coming with the kids and right. uh, the teenagers are going to go see it because of Elizabeth Shue as well. So yeah, it makes sense. All right. Any, any other trivia or scenes you want to mention before we talk about box office and critical reception? Not that I can think of now. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about it. Adventures in Babysitting debuted in North American theaters on July 3rd, 1987. I had no idea this was a July 4th uh, movie. Good for it. Yeah. It debuted at number nine, being beat out by the other new release of the week, Inner Space, which debuted at number three. It eventually moved up to number five in the second week, but fell back to number seven the following week. It remained in the top 10 all four weeks of July and ultimately brought over $34 million on an estimated $7 million budget making it a financial success. So it did. Absolutely. Did well. well. Yeah. So Rotten Tomatoes has it at 71% on the tomato meter with a 70% audience score. IMDB is pretty close. 6.9 out of 10 with viewers, but a 45 on Metacritic, which we all know Metacritic never gets it right. So but where does this rank for you? Is it in the 70s, Um, 80s, 90s? I would say it's a a solid 9.9 out of 10. Oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's not it's not a perfect movie. It, no. Nostalgia yeah, heavily a, weighs it. Right, right. Um, but it's just it's a fun. It's a romp. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're just you don't sit down. You don't have to think too hard about right, it. You right. don't even have to pay too much attention to it. <laughs> and you're not still really. gonna you're gonna be able to know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's fun, and you need those movies. It yeah, is exactly yeah. what it. And I think we should rate those kinds of movies just as high as we mm-hmm. do like psychological movies that win Oscars and things well, like that. Oh yeah, that. of like, course. I would much rather sit and watch an adventures and babysitting mm-hmm. than I would like a Lincoln. <laughs> right. So in my opinion, it's a, it's a solid nine. It's funny. It's lighthearted. It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting and it's great. Yep. It's well established on the show that I rate based on rewatchability. And mm-hmm. because this is, highly rewatchable and easily in my my top 10 movies of the eighties, one that I would pop in and watch at any time. If it came on TV anymore, like it did back in the day, if it was on, I'd stop and watch it, you know, even, you know, with the commercial. So it, it is flawed in some areas. Like I said, the TV, like you said, the TV version might be a little bit more acceptable today with some of the language. Um, So that's why I kind of, it loses a couple of dings for me in the original theatrical because it's a little problematic in some it spots. I'm maybe like high eighties, low nineties, but still very much one of my favorites and very rewatchable. Absolutely. I agree. It's just a good movie. If mm-hmm. you haven't seen it, just go watch it. Yeah. It's great. I don't know. I don't it's know on why Disney you would, plus. Right. I don't know why you listen to this whole podcast and have never seen it before, but you you're know, just a really big fan of this podcast. <laughs> of course. Of course. And we appreciate it. Always be, always be a fan. (laughs) I have one final question for you before we wrap it all up. Okay, let's do it. Was there an American treasure in this movie? (laughs) So I don't know if I said this during Back to the Future, Mm -hmm. back to, but Elizabeth Shue, 100%, hands down, no question asked. This movie, she is just a delight. She's Mm -hmm. precious. She established herself as the American sweetheart in this mm-hmm, movie. Mm-hmm. She is a treasure. Yeah. Oh, every every single thing in this movie is just mwah, so mm-hmm. good. 
Yeah. Love her. She plays the role perfectly. There's, I mean, even watching it again today, there are certain things I picked up on just watching her mm -hmm. reactions and how, you know, emotion that you could see just through facial expressions. She nailed this oh, know, yeah. easily. And once again, I think in, and Keith, once again, mentioned the interview, go back and listen to it, but he talked about they had as much fun filming this as we have watching it, which always, which always comes across really well. Like for, you yeah. can tell when they're having a good time. So, um, so that's, that's one of those rarities too, which makes it, one of those movies you want to cherish. It, it was wasn't cool. one of those movies where like teens grow up and they're traumatized right. because of the experience they had with the movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. Love it. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Bethany, it's always good to have you on the show. Got to have you on more often. We got to work you back in the rotation. <laughs> so. I'm here for it whenever you need me. <laughs> Appreciate it. So be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, review the podcast. If you haven't heard, we have a new email address. It's info at 80sflickflashback.com. Please send us a nice little email and tell us what you think about the show and just say hello. Let us know you're listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone who loves 80s flicks or Elizabeth Shue or Keith Coogan or Chris Columbus. <laughs> or maybe, yeah, definitely send it to Elizabeth Shue and tell yes. her we could be friends. I would be yeah. totally cool. I'm not cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes she can be on the show anytime anytime we will, we will make we will and make i will make sit there but i promise not to say a single word i will just <laughs> sit there quietly and listen to anything she has to say yeah i would i would struggle to get words to come out of my mouth <laughs> uh follow us on social media facebook instagram and tiktok please support the show you can do it through buymeacoffee.com you can also buy a t-shirt or sweatshirt from the website uh, you can find us on tpublic.com. We have some new designs that came out for fall and Halloween, but I'm working on some Christmas ones. So look look for those in the next couple weeks. So hope everybody has an awesome November. Got another great episode coming up in a few weeks. But thanks again, Bethany, for joining. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.